you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. If you've ever been long enough with, with working with others, you know that it always seems to go well for a time. But for some reason, as with any of us, if we've been married long enough, if we've worked a long enough time in a job, if we've been long enough in the church, we've seen that tensions tend to rise. There are things that happen that cause points of disagreement with others. And if we're not careful, those points of disagreement can cause more than just a mere split. What we're going to see here in the text this morning is that you can disagree and not hold it against someone. You can disagree and have an even a sharp disagreement, but still serve God. I know that's shocking and confusing to many in the church today, but if it's not a point of doctrine, there is a lot of room for wiggle on certain things that you may have that you like to do something different than someone else. This morning we're going to be looking at three specific things here in Acts chapter 15 that really Scripture will clearly spell out for us in Paul and Barnabas, if you will, tension that arose. Number one, we're going to look at the recap here in verses 22 through 29. Number two, we're going to look at the stay, verses 30 through 35. And number three, the split, verses 36 through 41. So number one, the recap, verses 22 through 29. Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was also named Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brethren. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles, the elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, Greetings. Since we have heard that some who went out from us have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who also the Holy Spirit, uh, who also report the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than those necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you will do well. Farewell. You see, the council at Jerusalem took place simply because this dispute arose from those that primarily wanted to dictate circumcision was required for salvation. And because this was a point of contention with Paul and these Judaizers, they brought this before the council at Jerusalem, which we had just discussed last week. Because of the original debate between Paul and Barnabas, when they brought it to Jerusalem, there was a big, if you will, dispute among them that they brought up. And there was a back and forth, and Peter stands right up and declares, once and for all, we cannot require this of Gentiles. In order to make sure that it was clear, Judas and Silas are sent by the Jerusalem church as confirmation that this was agreed upon. So Paul and Barnabas were not going to come back and declare that what they had stated was correct. They brought others with them to confirm what was stated. 
That's a good point of application. If you want somebody to understand what is discussed in a meeting, make sure you have somebody that may disagree with that position come to that, come, come out as well with those people to confirm what was discussed. You see, the confirmation bias is important for them to make sure they're not guilty of. The Pharisees themselves were incorrect, and Paul was correct with Barnabas in what their statement was. What's interesting is what's missed here in the text, and you'll see this in verse 24, and, and I think many miss when they read sometimes portions of Scripture. The text says something specifically about the Judaizers and what they had caused to this church in Antioch. This is what it says, Since we have heard that some who went out from us, remember this is from the church of Jerusalem, have troubled you with words, unsettling your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. You ever have somebody speak on your behalf and they got it wrong? Have that ever happened to you? You ever mentioned something to somebody and they've repeated that to someone else and they added to what you never said? That's exactly what's going on here. What you see here is the church is not declaring this, but those that came from that church went out, traveled, saw Paul in Antioch, and said, this is the official position of the church. And it wasn't. This is how serious this is. The text tells us that they sent them back because they want to clearly communicate what the truth was of the Jerusalem Council. Because this actually hurt the Gentile church by adding to the word that was never commanded. Listen, church, there's real pain when you and I add to Scripture what isn't there. Which is one of the reasons why that's stated here. And to impose as a proof of salvation something that God never stated in His Word. There's a deep hurt that shakes some people to the point of despair and wondering whether or not they are ever worthy of salvation. Well, let's make this clear, church. There's never a single person, not a single one of us, that is worthy of salvation. And we never will be. Christ is worthy, and that's why we are worthy. We're not worthy apart from Him. We never will be. The word itself means the following that he's talking about here. Terrazzo, properly put in motion, to trouble, to shake to and fro, to set in motion what needs to remain still. That's what troubling is. To set in motion what needs to remain still. What needs to be steady is now moving around. It's not staying firm. And that's what legalism does. The legalistic standard changes based on the people that are preaching it. The standard is not the Word of God, it is the personal convictions of a person that imposes that on the Word of God. And unfortunately, many churches have fallen into this trap, still to this day. It creates more tension than needs to be there in the church. Unsettle also carries the idea of going bankrupt to overthrow or dismantle. What should be secure is overthrown. It is literally like breaking into someone's house and wondering why they're worried about safety now. Which is one of the dangers of legalistic teaching. It puts a conjunction where God puts a period. You are saved, but... Let's add a few things that we know Scripture never stated, but we think that would be the right standard. 
You are saved by faith, but you need to, and the list goes on and on. It could be anything from baptism to going to church to doing good for others, any of these things. Whenever there's an external pressure to conform to something beyond the bounds of Scripture that you were never qualified to begin with, you find yourself unsettled and unstable in your faith, which is one of the reasons why legalistic churches are some of the most unstable churches you will find. Because the standard seems to shift consistently. The abuse of grace by feeling free to sin against the commandments of Scripture can be just as dangerous. Let's not neglect that. But it lacks the proper motivation as well. You see, if you've been rescued, if, been, if you've been redeemed, you're going to want to live for God. If you don't even realize what you've been rescued from, you're either going to be terrified that you're not matching up, or you're going to literally feel like it really doesn't matter. Which is why both of those responses are so terrible. Paul and Barnabas' testimony comes up as a confirmation here in the Holy Spirit's direction. And he specifically mentions the things that they were refrained from. We, we mentioned this last week. The eating meat offered to idols, things strangled and even blood. Those would all be repulsive to the Jerusalem church and Jewish believers. Also, the sexual immorality that was practiced in that culture... And that pagan practice was something that would essentially be something that the church would have to constantly combat throughout. You see that throughout the different epistles that Paul writes. But as they departed with this letter, they returned to stay in Antioch. So they, they brought this letter back home, if you will. Number two, the stay, verses 30 through 35. So when they were sent off, they came to Antioch. And when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the letter, the one we had just, just, just read. When they had read it, they rejoiced over its encouragement. Now Judas and Silas, themselves being prophets also, exhorted and strengthened the brethren with many words. And after they had stayed there for a time, they were sent back with greetings from the brethren to the apostles. However, it seemed good to Silas to remain there. Paul and Barnabas also remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So Paul and Barnabas come back to read this letter to the church of Antioch. And it seems to be a huge sigh of relief. I'm sure especially for the men in that church. The letter was a big encouragement for them to realize that there were specific things that they were concerned with that Scripture never mandated of them. They were not qualified for salvation by doing those things. This is such an important truth that can't be stressed enough, and unfortunately, so many people want good morals to be the qualifier. So many people want the external to be the qualifier of salvation, and Scripture never states that to be the fact. In fact, it's always the heart that God is after. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of what's inside, those things come out. Unfortunately, what so many people try to do is paint the outside so good, but never deal with the inside, and they wonder why the inside eventually comes out. You see, legalism at its core, if it's done without a fear of God that's proper, will always come to somebody being a hypocrite. Always. Because it's not starting with the right motivation. 
What's interesting here in this text is Silas decides to stay with Paul and Barnabas in encouraging the church of Antioch instead of going back to Jerusalem. But there's something else that's interesting that's missed when you read this text and even earlier. Something that happened here at Antioch that many commentators actually dispute when exactly it happened, before or after the Council of Jerusalem. Peter comes to Antioch and ultimately plays the role of a hypocrite in sitting in fellowship with the Gentiles and withdrawing himself when the Judaizers come around. As soon as the Judaizers, those that imposed circumcision, came around, Peter tried to act like he wasn't really around the Gentiles, that he wasn't really associated with them. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul describes this in further detail, where there were false brethren who were trying to put down the Gentiles' conversion as not legitimate based on their lack of circumcision. I'm only going to read a few verses. I would strongly urge you to check out that whole chapter. Read that whole chapter. It'll give you even a more full context to everything that's going on here in Acts chapter 15. But we're going to read verse 1 and then verses 4 and 5. Then after 14 years, this is Paul, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And then drop down to verse 4. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. I love the way another translation states what Paul's response here was to these Judaizers. He says, we refuse to give them something for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. He obviously had no problem confronting Peter for his hypocrisy. In eating with the Gentile believers who were not circumcised, the brethren that came from Jerusalem made it uneasy for Peter to the point that he didn't want to upset them. What's interesting is in Galatians, Paul actually states that Barnabas followed through in the hypocrisy with Peter. Barnabas actually joined Peter in his hypocrisy. He was afraid as well. So Paul's partner, Barnabas, actually sides with Peter in playing the hypocrite. Practical point here. You may faithfully minister with others and at times pick up their sinful habits. What Peter was doing here was wrong. Especially if it was after the Council of Jerusalem, he stood up and stated this. You may change the way you talk to people based on who's around. Do we not do that? I mean, let's not kid ourselves. We have those of us that will talk the spiritual lingo and then shift to cutting back and being completely different based on who we're talking to. You may find that one thing that a person raves about to be the most important to you as well at the expense of other things. For example, if something, something like sports becomes more important to you than God's word, politics are more important to follow than the fellowship of other believers, being accepted is more important, then those things will distract you from the main goal, which is knowing Christ and to make him known. You see, the greatest danger to many in the church is living their walk with Christ. 
instead of pleasing their fellow man's standards. You see, unfortunately, in the church, there's a devastation that occurs when people try to live their Christian life so someone that they know, they look up to in the church, approves of them. And sometimes that approval that they're seeking is not biblical, especially if that person's added standards that are not in the Word of God. Seeking others' approval covers all areas of life for us, right? From our homes to our careers to our church to our presence online, all of these things become, in a sense, a different mask that we put on in order to appease others. Which is why when we post on our Facebook wall about how wonderful our day with the spouse was, we don't tell them that we had just gotten into a fight. Right? We have to appease the audience we're speaking to, and we have a certain standard we need to uphold before others. All these things make us miserable because we can't keep up with the different standards that are required of us. You and I can't keep up. Could you imagine trying to please every single person that you know? And yet, unfortunately, that's what a lot of us try to do, right? We have this group of people, we, we try to do it a certain way because we're around them. And then our online audience, we try to be a certain way because that's kind of how they know us to be. They know us, we, po we post about this all the time, so that's what we're going to post about. And then our career folks, those that we've been kind of working with for a while, they know us as this person. We have different standards that we place on ourselves based on those that we know. Which is why, unfortunately, the church is one of the worst places to be real. Because so many of us present a different version based on what we expect from that other person. And what they expect from us. We adjust based on what they value as most holy or acceptable, or maybe even cool or accepted for that church context. Essentially, we allow others to dictate the standard for ourselves, and when we fail them, we feel condemnation for not living up to what God has wanted. You ever felt that way? You ever felt condemned over somebody else being upset with you? When you know before God you actually did what was right? I can't tell you the amount of times that's happened. One of the hardest things, and I've, I've had to learn this because I'm not this way, is learning to wait to respond when someone has something against me. Because I'm one of those, let's got to deal with it today. If I delay, it's going to go bad. And for some reason, because I decided to deal with it that moment, I made it worse. Instead of being patient and letting God's word dictate that. This is unfortunately where the church goes very wrong in bashing those that want to live holy. Accusing them of legalism when at the same time they don't have a crystal clear standard of what God's word does not tolerate in their life. What's incredible is that many in the church feel they're walking right with God simply because they're patterning their life after someone else. Look, there's not a single person in this church that is the ultimate standard of Christ. 
And even when Paul made the standard to follow him, he says, follow me as I follow who? Christ. That person may or may not be a good example. Only Scripture can dictate specifically. You can't just go off a subjective, I think they are a pretty good person, so I'm going to do what they do. That's a very dangerous way to live the Christian life. They seem like a pretty good person. They seem to be raising a good family. They seem to be doing the spiritual disciplines well. All of that has to be examined with the Word of God itself. Because let's be honest, all of us have come in here hypocrites. All of us have come to church hypocrites. The truth is, if you give it enough time, there always comes a point to where tensions may rise and you part ways, which is what happens here in this text. Number three, the split. Verses 36 through 41. Then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take them with them, the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So Paul, after some time passes here, wants to get moving again on his missionary journey. And he tells Barnabas, let's go back to the churches that we've planted and visit them and see how they're doing. Well, Barnabas is on board with Paul. Only this time he wants to bring John Mark again with them. More than likely, that's his cousin. The problem here is that Paul is no fan of quitters, and John Mark had quit on them earlier. But Barnabas is dead set on bringing John Mark and giving him another shot. This ends with a sharp disagreement with Barnabas taking John Mark along with him in his ministry and Paul taking Silas. You see, so many Christians assume that because there's a disagreement in here and how things are done, then it must be sinful. Not necessarily. Nothing in this text shows us that this is the case. In fact, it, this only furthered the gospel ministry. It didn't diminish it. And here are a couple practical points that we can learn from this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Okay? I promise this is going to be very helpful for us because I've never really unpacked this for myself until this last week. They were direct in their disagreement. Here's a practical implication here. They didn't go bring it back to the council at Jerusalem first. Solve this one for us. What do you think? You should go with us or not? They were direct with one another. Here's my question to you, church. How direct are you when you disagree with others? Do you have to bring others in to solve what could have been worked out one-on-one? -on -one? We have no indication here that Paul and Barnabas brought this before others. None. 
There's no indication that they grew bitter with one another because of this incident either. There's no indication in this text that they held a grudge against one another after this incident. They both went about their separate ways, still meaning to serve God and not holding a grudge against one another, though they strongly disagreed on this point with John Mark. Listen, church, I know it's hard to believe this because so many of us tend to have the sin take over and we do hold a grudge eventually, but it is possible to strongly disagree with someone and not have something against them in practical matters. Unfortunately, some of us take disagreements a bit too personally. And before we know it, bitterness creeps up. Here's another practical point here. They worked out a solution rather than just the, quit the ministry altogether. They worked out a solution rather than quitting the ministry altogether. They knew they weren't going to budge on this point on John Mark. So they came to a solution that would work for both of them. This is a big one that I think is missed in the church all the time. And we get it so wrong. Because someone disagrees with your way of doing it does not mean that your way is biblical and theirs is not. If it's not something that really is emphasized and commanded in Scripture directly, you and I have no right to say our way is God's way every time. Some people in churches quit serving completely because someone disagreed with them and how they were supposed to do something. Take your cue from Paul and Barnabas here. They still serve God. It didn't matter that they strongly disagreed. Could you imagine if this disagreement, they both quit? All right, I'm done. No reason to go on another missionary journey. Barnabas doesn't agree with me. Paul doesn't agree with me. And yet, sadly and unfortunately, is that not what most churches do? What, what do most people do when they have a point of disagreement in the church? They go, oh, fine, I'm not even going to try that anymore. They don't like it the way I do it. I'm not going to serve again. Listen, you don't have to listen to the way that I'm presenting. This is what's in God's Word. These people had a strong disagreement, okay? They didn't just like, oh, you know, I don't really care. They were sharp on this point. They were very strongly disagreeing, but they still serve God. It's possible to serve in another capacity because you disagree with somebody in the way that they do it. Here's the big one, and this is why I think it's a huge difference between something that's biblical or not. This was not a doctrinal issue. This was not Paul telling Barnabas, you're, you're forcing circumcision is wrong, and this really had to be that serious. This was not a doctrinal issue. Paul and Barnabas didn't pull out their Bible verses to prove whether John Mark was qualified or not. Paul didn't pull out Proverbs 25, 19, which some of us would. Here's what that verse says. Putting confidence in an unreliable person in the times of trouble is like chewing with a broken tooth or walking on a lame foot. That wasn't Paul's verse. Yeah, unfortunately, that's how people disagree with one another. Let me pull my verse that proves my point. Barnabas could have come back with the really spiritual answer, though, right? The Proverbs 24, 16 that so many of us quote. A just man falleth seven times and rises again. Right? Who are you to say God can't use him, right? I could just totally 
totally see the way in the modern context a lot of us would deal with this controversy. So many assume they're right about their assessment of others that they argue that they are more biblically accurate than that other person they disagree with. And what we tend to do is go, I'm right. Where's that verse? Do we not? Let's admit it, we do. It's perfectly fine to do things slightly different in the way that you run a ministry and to pick someone that works better with you than someone else. If it's not a doctrinal issue, it's fine to disagree when someone comes along and says, hey, practically speaking, I can't work well with that person. And a good leader in the church goes, you're right. That's not going to go well. That does not mean you can't serve. At least in some other capacity. Barnabas was convinced that John Mark had changed. Paul wasn't. They both couldn't be right about John Mark, but neither was it a sin for them to disagree on this point. Listen, let's be, let's be perfectly clear about something. All of us have ruined opportunities God has given us, right? If we're to be like Paul here, then we understand that sometimes you want somebody that you know you can rely on all the time. That's not going to bail on you last minute. But unfortunately, Barnabas saw a different picture here. He saw that, hey, you know what? John Mark is not the same guy he was before. What's an interesting thing is if you actually look at some of the history and the commentators' points on this, Barnabas actually takes John Mark to places that are not as dangerous as Paul went. Which is interesting. In fact, what's interesting is your prediction about what others will do may not always be accurate. How many of us have been told you're never going to get something done and you actually ended up doing it? How many of us have been told, oh yeah, this person's going to totally get it done and they didn't do it? Right? Our predictions are wrong. We're not always correct. We can more easily predict the dangers others are in than the dangers that we are in. You see, we, we, we tend to try to be very objective about everyone else. We're ultra subjective about ourselves. I would never mess up like they did there. I would never do that to my family. That's always someone else. They're the ones that are going to fall into that trap. Who knows? And this is something that's really to be considered. But providentially, because of the firm response from Paul and the reassurance of Barnabas, John Mark became faithful. And this is all a part of God's plan. Listen, there will always be tension in ministry. And to assume that it will not be is to avoid reality. It is understanding the cause of that tension as being what is important. What's the cause of that tension? If it's doctrinal, that's a serious issue. And this isn't the disagreement we're dis discussing here in this text. It's understanding the cause of that tension and whether or not there's sin involved in that disagreement. If a person builds a schedule differently than you do, it doesn't make you right or wrong biblically. 
Unfortunately, that happens in ministries all the time. Well, I would do it this way. Well, I would do it this way. I would set up the schedule this way. I don't like that you, you, I don't understand why you quit school at 225. Why can't it just be 230? Simple things like that. <laughs> Heard it a, a time or two. I have. If a person decides they prefer to work with a certain person over another, it does not necessarily mean that they don't like that person or they don't believe that they can be used by God. There's a big one that I think really people in the church need to understand more clearly is because someone says, hey, you two would probably work better than you and that person, it does not mean that none of you can work in the ministry or only one of you can. It's important to have good teamwork. The reality is it's not a rebellion against God because you have a different preference on some things. You may likely work better with somebody than somebody else. That doesn't make that other person that you didn't want to work with less of a saint. You ever seen two type A people fight? Typically, you know what God does in marriages? He puts different people together. Because if you have two people that are yelling all the time, it won't go well. This is, which is why it's hilarious to watch when you see one person just taking the thrashing and the other one going, all right, well, it's par for the course. Because God puts two together because he knows that you're going to complement one another well. If a person prefers, if you will, an evening study over small groups, it doesn't make them any less of a saint. Church, we've got to be careful with all this. One is not more holy and righteous because they go to this event rather than this one. Legalism is imposing what you believe God values the most on someone else. We need to stop imposing our righteous standard on others. Whenever there's a disagreement, no matter how large or small, each party must be aware of the fact that there's bitterness that can creep in. You need to be aware of that. You need to be aware of the fact that you're like, no, it doesn't bother me. And then two weeks later, oh, it bothers you. It really bothers you. You're losing sleep over it. That's how much it's bothering you. There's bitterness and resentment that can arise in any of us when things don't go the, we, the way we would have preferred. Knowing that tension always comes up, here's the question in conclusion. How do you deal with tension? How do you deal with tension? When you have a point of disagreement with others on how to do things at the job, in the home, or even here at the church, how do you deal with that? What do you do? How do you respond? Do you go directly to the person that you disagree with? Or do you stay and stew inside and grow bitter towards them? Listen, here's the crazy part that I don't think many of us pay attention to. You really can have some issue with somebody else and they have no clue. You ever seen that? You're upset at somebody and they're like acting like nothing happened because they had no clue you were upset at them. 
It would help them if you talked to them. They might have a better understanding. I mean, let me, let me just pause and make a statement that should be absolutely clear. They're not God. They don't know that they upset you by doing something differently than you would have liked. When someone disagrees with you on how you are supposed to do something, do you understand the, the, the situation itself and work out the solution if you both don't agree? This is an important point that I think is missed. The solution may be different than what you may anticipate at first, but a solution should be worked out. Maybe have that person work with somebody else rather than you. Do you, le do you let tension between you and others over petty things stop you from ministry? It's a big one. Do you let the tension that you have built between you and someone else stop you from ministering? Well, they didn't like my design last time when I did this. I will never volunteer for this again. This is how petty we are in the church. Well, Pastor Roman, I didn't like the way you said that. Were you talking about me? No. But if the Spirit said that, deal with it. So many quit serving Christ over some ridiculous excuse of someone else not doing it their way. This is not a Bible issue, doctrinal issue. This is a preferential issue. Well, when, this is the famous one that comes up in the church all the time, when, you know, when I was younger, we used to do it this way. Yes, you did. Congratulations, we're not there right now. We do things differently now. It does not necessarily mean that we're not biblical because we didn't do it the same structure that you did. Now, if we're going to take the Word of God and no longer make it valid and important in the church, then yes, you're right. That's something we need to be called out for. Let me make sure I make myself clear on that. The only tension we should ultimately be concerned with is the tension that we may have between us and God in how we deal with others and then how we ourselves act before Him. If we don't know Christ, that's the tension we should be most concerned with. Do we know Christ? Have we placed our faith in Him? If we've not placed our faith in Jesus Christ, that's the ultimate tension. Because there's judgment awaiting us. If our fellowship with Christ is broken because of our sin, there should be tension there. And it will require confession on our behalf. It will require that. Look, if you and I are angry at God, we might want to check what's wrong with us. You see, tension in life is unavoidable. It's unavoidable. The way we respond does matter. What may start as a simple disagreement between us and someone else may start and grow into bitterness, and we need to watch out for that. Listen, church, not every strong disagreement is sinful. There have been some strong disagreements between the leadership at times. We just need to be sure we're not overlooking what's clearly spelled out in Scripture ourselves.